Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the Schmozone podcast, episode number 106. I'm Dave Schmolson, a.k.a. The Schmo. My co-host is... Helene with Helene Sports. And today we have a treat for you all. We have Roxanne Modafferi, the happy warrior, the pioneer in female mixed martial arts, and UFC lightweight, the monkey king, Jordan Levitt. What a great introduction. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Being, having that little moncker before my name, like the monk, UFC fighter, Jordan Levitt. That's still takes getting used to. I'm not used to that yet. It's weird. Well, it's funny because if anyone was just walking down the streets and they just look at you two, they would never know that you're trained killers inside of a cage. And um, you're just great people to be around, great positive vibes. And we definitely have a treat today because both of you are on together. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, yeah, we don't. We're pretty unassuming people. You know, it's, we're on the east side at the studio. We walk out, something bad happens. Be a rough night for them. You know, <laughs> not getting this wallet. So. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I have to add, you and I went to the same high school, Sierra Vista High School. Yeah, go go Mountain Lions, man. <laughs> <laughs> have you been back since? I mean, I doubt it, but. I, okay, so I actually used to coach there for two years after I graduated, and my sister graduated, I think, two years ago. So. It's just now finally getting to the point where I don't know anybody there. I just know a few of the seniors, and officially high school stage of my life will be over, and I'll be 28, so that's kind of <laughs> cool. Yay, congrats. <laughs> so for everyone just wondering, why the hell do we have both of you on together? You two have a great relationship. You're both friends, training partners. Um, how did the relationship materialize? Because you two are pretty close. We hear talking about wedding plans. Uh, Jordan being involved with the lightsaber duel before we started recording. How did this relationship begin? Friendship relationship, I might add, for everyone who's poor okay. listeners. So I was 18 when I went to syndicate. So I graduated high school. I wrestled a little bit. And I was working for like five months, but I was super bored. Like I'm not good at the whole nine to five thing. I was going to school. So I started going to, started going into MMA to kind of find a competitive like athletic outlet. And the first person to, like, say hi to me, my syndicate was Roxanne. She, and, like, it's not like it was, like, her home yet. Like, she had just gotten there, like, a few months prior, like, off her first stint on The Ultimate Fighter. And she's like, hey, I'm Roxanne. And I'm like, I know. And then I was, like, super embarrassed that I said I know. So I didn't talk for, like, a few more months. <laughs> but, yeah, and then fast forward nine years later, here we are. Yeah. Yeah, you were always cool to me. You know, um, I always looked for training partners, especially guys who wouldn't, like go too hard or who would be a good training partner so you were one of those guys you always trained with me trained really well with me I got good work you were really cool we were both kind of oddballs um it was awesome oh. and yeah especially in my 
lots of my fight camps, especially in my last fight camp, you helped me out so much in preparing. So I'm very grateful. Like you have such good control. Like I'm sure you can control exactly how much pressure to the ounce <laughs> goes into your strikes. And especially like at the, near the end of my career, I was having issues with getting headaches after training. So I was trying to have a fight camp without getting like minor concussion symptoms. And I was able to take my headgear off and grapple with you. And so it was super awesome. Hmm. Nice to hear, you know. I've looked up to Roxy for almost a decade. You know, I used to watch her on the TV. I, I knew her before we even met. It's really cool. It's like bridging the whole divide between seeing someone as like, like someone you see on the TV, like this abstract individual, then seeing them as a person and kind of seeing that develop into a friendship. It's really cool. I'm very lucky. Yeah, because we ran into Roxanne at UFCX this past weekend, and we were like, yeah, we need to get you and Jordan on the podcast, and she was just so excited. So it's so cool to see, like you said, like in the friendship and continue to grow, and hopefully you RSVP to her wedding, right? I'm, I'm going to. I'm Putting going to. you on the spot. I'm just so bad at that those type of things. Like whatever the internet, I, right? I'm not an internet person at all. Like except for my memes and like a few like selfies on Instagram, I'm pretty bad at the whole internet thing. Wait, but even leading up to this Patty fight, which I know like so many more, you know, eyeballs and media and all these obligations for you. So I mean, you have to spend a little more time now on the internet, right? Yeah, I do. I'm not sure how I feel about it. So surprisingly at least to me a lot way more positive than negative that's the first time it's usually way, mostly negative no one likes the whole twerking split gimmick so it's kind of cool with finding someone who's liked less than me or at least rubs people off the, rubs people the wrong way more than me so it's kind of cool to be the good guy for the first time so i'm kind of enjoying it but trying not to stay too much on social media but how did the twerking stuff like start did you always think like you know when I beat someone, I'm just gonna twerk. <laughs> oh, it's kind of just a joke. So like, like a lot of my teammates or like my coach, like John Wood, will be like, "Oh, wouldn't it be funny if someone did this?" And I'm like, I like archive it in the back of my head. I'm like, I'll do that. Like the dirty dancing lift thing was a complete joke. Like we were joking about it. Like for my debut, like three months prior, there's a video of me like getting picked up by my teammate Sherard, and like, wouldn't that be funny if you did that after your fight? And I'm like, yeah, it would be funny. So then, like we're backstage, we're hitting mitts, and I'm I have a nice sweat going. I'm like, let's practice the lift a few times. Like nice. I had a cornerman, like Chris Ruff and big guy. He's like, yeah, let's do it. And I almost got injured. I almost didn't make it to that fight. I got basically like thrown into the TV in the corner of the warm up room. <laughs> but then after that, we got the down, we got it down. We nailed it for after the win. So yeah, nice. everything starts off as a joke. Gosh, good thing you practiced that. Go <laughs> throw me out of the cage. <laughs> so, is there anything else archived right now that maybe the audience will be surprised for Patty? Because I know you told the schmo you'll be twerking, but unless it, there's something else up the sleeve, oh no, like nothing, nothing I could say yet. There's a lot of things, a lot of them inappropriate. I just want to say the build up for this fight's been very like homoerotic. Like everyone wants me to do some pretty, pretty sus things. You should kiss him after you beat him. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You know, you <laughs> twerk on his face, do this, do that. I'm like, I'm going to see how I'm feeling, you know. <laughs> see what ideas you get when you're cutting weight. They're not usually the most lucid ideas, but we'll see when I'm thinking weight cut week. I still can't believe in the moment during the interview a few months ago that 
twerking all over Patty's body, laying on the canvas. That went over my head. But in a sport that gratifies machismo, bravado, and just like masculinity, like what I appreciate about you two is you're always true to yourself. You're true to your personalities and your character, and that's what shines. And I think if it's not happening already, it's already happened a lot through your career, especially towards the tail end as the sport has grown. People start appreciating you for who you are. And I think, Jordan, we're going to start to see that for you, especially in front of the UK crowd. I'm hoping. I'm hoping eventually <laughs> they'll like me for me. You know, like I had Roxy as an example for that, wasn't trying to play a character. A lot of fighters, like, you see them on the TV and you're like, I don't like that person at all. Then you meet them in, in person and they're really great individuals. They're afraid of showing that because it's like, oh, it's not the most marketable side of me. But I feel like if you're trying to live up to like this character, you're never going to be authentic. And I think a lot of people like recognize that subconsciously. So like Roxy being herself, me being able to look up to that, I was like, maybe I don't have to like be macho, tough guy. And I can just be me and yeah, it's worked for her. I think it's gonna work for me. So I know for Roxy, like I've seen you dress up as Mortal Kombat characters, Katana. I love that outfit. Thank you, thank you. So how important was it for you to, like David said, like remain true to yourself, especially as things continue to evolve in the sport and with social media and just, you know, at the core of it all, just be true to you? Well, I was raised that way by my mom because I got teased a lot when I was a kid for just being eccentric. And my mom said, like, no, that's it's awesome about you. You know, you should be yourself always. So I always kind of felt that way inside. And then when all the, so when I first started coming up, the girls all like did nude poses and little boxing gloves in front of their boobs and like sexuality was how they marketed themselves and I never wanted to. So the only ways to market yourself was to either take your clothes off or like just knock everybody out. Um, You know, it's similar today as well, but there's more details, I think more choices, but I was like, man, what am I gonna do to be special? So I decided to go with what I love and like really blow it up. Like I like, you know, these characters, I'm gonna freaking go all out and cosplay, you know? And also um, I know the Japanese fighters liked to do walkouts that were very unique, but I was too nervous on fight day. So doing weigh-in stuff was my way to like do that, but not be too nervous for the fight. So I remember you said you practiced the lift. I practiced those fans. I went and I like watched YouTube Chinese fan dances and I like practiced like, flicking them out there and it worked out that's awesome and i remember when we've done interviews in the past and you told me like the is it called the wig uh the, the yeah the saiyan hair yeah and you would level up yes. and they would be different colors yep. right that was cool i'm having my temporary state of saiyan hair right now <laughs> with going blonde for for okay. a one-time ordeal shindig i had a whole thing planned because i knew charles Oliveira was in town oh. for ufc x so i had to pay prospects to the to the champion i put in quotation marks because there's no champion technically mm. due to rules in your division <laughs> jordan rolls his eyes oh gosh i mean it's a one pound but i understand but dc cheated i was gonna okay. say <laughs> and then even for khabib's last weigh-in like it was a a millis like a part like not even a full second like 155 and they kind of kicked everybody off the scale so i don't know it, it seems a bit unfair considering they haven't set like a it's, it's they've been kind of muddy with how they've been doing it like historically I just think if he was an English speaking champ that was more popular here I don't think it would have even been an issue mm-hmm. I think they would have brought the towel a little closer they could have figured it out 
DC admitting that in his Hall of Fame speech holding the towel. Uh, and then you get Charles Oliveira, less than a pound difference, and he had a different weight on a, a different scale. Yeah, on I the guess. test scale. On the, the test scale. They have the hotel, which is supposed to be calibrated. And then people are like, well, you have an hour. Well, you don't really have an hour because you make weight, you have to get to the car, you have to travel to the place, you have to sweat, you have to make it back. So really, you have like 20 minutes. And after you're already like 20 pounds dehydrated for a lot of like these male fighters, like you're not going to get a sweat in that that quickly. Yeah, we have to be confident that that test scale is accurate. Like I bring my own scale to cut weight with. So when I first arrive at the location, I bring my scale, put it next to the test scale, and I you know I write down the difference so that when I'm in the bathtub and I get out, I can you know be confident that okay, that's the proper weight. So like I never thought, gosh, what would happen if it's not the proper weight? Like I would be screwed, right? If I were close, mm-hmm. you know, I I do believe in making sure that you're ahead enough of the game to be able to make weight, even if you have a bad weight cut. Like, you know, don't be fat. But <laughs> well, what about? But still, it's you know a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it changes the entire outlook for his fight purse moving forward, exactly. too. his yeah. life has changed. Yeah, like. completely. And that's why he's calling out Conor McGregor, because he knows that's where he'd make more money than having a championship fight with, like, an Islam Makachev or an Alexander Volkanovsky. Like, to make that money back for losing out from not being the defending champion, Conor McGregor makes more sense for him from mm-hmm. a financial standpoint. Circling back to the scales, though, some people have suggested, should there be a digital scale? What What do you guys think? Like, do you think they should implement digital scale or just leave it? Um, the problem with digital scales, like, throughout time, they get less accurate. And But I also understand, like, the whole manual scale seems antiquated. antiquated. But, um... Isn't the um, med- medical scale more accurate? Yeah, supposedly it's more accurate, but... but- I mean, those can be uncalibrated as well, and yeah. then the digital scales can be faulty, so I don't even know, yeah. like... I, I'm not sure if it would actually change too much, you know? There definitely would be the Khabib, like, 155, like, you couldn't do it, like, it's, like quickly, like, kind of, you know, manipulate Unle- it. Unless but. you want to, like... Serena told me that she likes to take, like, a 50-pound dumbbell from the hotel weight room and put it on there, and then she'll test it out. So she'll test the scale with that. So that could be something, like, if you really want to... If the UFC really wanted to make a big deal out of that, they could show like, okay, here you go, donk, and then the guy gets on, and then the next one, donk, and then the other guy gets on. Like, yeah, I guess you could do that. Or know? even fighters could challenge the scale. I feel like they should have several scales at the place on standby, and you should be able to argue, like, no, I want to check on this scale, like your backup scale. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I go back and forth with it. I mean, I understand why they keep it as well. I'm, you can put, like, advertisement on there too i always see the body armor logo so that helps and from an aesthetic purposes and a traditionalist standpoint like the the optics of having like an official scale like that help out in all all senses but yeah what you said with digital scales too over time those can get less accurate so i i go back and forth i just want consistency and it's hard to get consistency when you have an athletic commission changing the scale the morning of or at 6 a.m they realize they're it's not the same as what an athlete is testing on you know hours beforehand so the inconsistency is what always gets me so you're about two weeks away from the uk yeah yeah pretty exciting stuff it is, I, mean, I don't get excited for fights um it's not I'm not not like once like another day in the office like it's, it's exciting it's like exhilarating but for me it's, it's it's just a fist fight I do so many more dangerous like scary things 
like, why? like even just driving here and like my grandpa's old beat up car and what? like there's no heat. Like I could have died here way what? easier than I could anything bad could happen to me during the fight. Why is there no heat? In your car, or no, no AC. AC. Yeah, it's just it's like it's an eighty nine. It's like eighty nine. So 89? it's like six years older than me. You weren't we, born. Yeah, I was gonna say. We gotta get Jordan a new car. <laughs> I just I just need that patty money, okay? I, I can afford a new car after I win this fight. I won't have such a dangerous day to day life. But yeah, like fight night's not that scary, you know? Like it's just a fight. It's fifteen minutes. Like I've been to I've been to bad sparring sessions where you get beat up for five rounds, and then you can do heavy bag work. And then you go back later, and you're injured and all this, and there's no adrenaline to dull the pain. So when you fight, <laughs> yeah. like I have broken fingers, broken feet, don't feel a dang thing. Split my chin open with a headbutt, don't feel anything. So for me, fighting's just, it's a little bit faster, like 5% faster, but it's so much easier than a bad sparring session. It's true. One thing that stood out too, from going back to our interview a few weeks back, you believe this is gonna be an awkward fight. It's gonna be a very awkward fight. Explain why you think that for the audience. So I'm a very strange off-rhythm fighter, and he is he has a lot, I'm not respectfully saying, has a lot of technical deficiencies. And so like even though we both have holes in our game, I'm not sure if we both have the like ability to capitalize on each other's mistakes in a consistent way. So I think this is going to be a very strange fight. I would love for him to come out there and be like a very normal like tie fighter, like he fixes everything, comes out very textbook. But when I watch the film, when I watch my film, I'm like, this fight's this this is not going to be a banger. Like, there's some fights you can look at it like this is going to be exciting, and then there's some fights where I'm like, it's gonna it's gonna be something. I think cool stuff's gonna happen. I think there's gonna be crazy scrambles. Maybe you'll do another choke armbar. What was that the that funny one? My Kimura choke. The Kimura choke. Yeah. Like, I think I, I love that about your fights. Like, it's crazy stuff always happens. I don't know whose arm is where, what position you guys are in, like what's gonna happen, and then. Blah, 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 blah. With punches and kicks. Or at least I know one person will be excited. I'm you super know. excited. Maybe more excited people. than you. Three yeah, people here. We're excited. Yeah. But yeah, I like to prepare for, in my head, like the, the crowd's going to hate it. The fans are going to hate it. I'm going to win this fight. My stock's going to go up at all. So yeah, I'm preparing for a boring, ugly, awkward fight. And hopefully something special will happen. We have any special plans for the walkout? Oh my gosh. I've been dying to pick out a walkout song that's fun. Because I also have to take so many things into consideration. Like, they're gonna be booing over everything. So it has to be kind of pumping, has to kind of pump me up. But, like, I also don't like to get pumped up. Like, I don't <laughs> wanna go out there and have my heart racing, but I also can't mellow myself out. I've been looking at a lot of, like, English, like, musicians, and I just, none of them are, like, working for me. So I'm probably gonna have to walk up to something pretty stupid, or at least something that'll get the crowd to, like, drunkenly <laughs> sing along with me and distract <laughs> them from booing. So. No plans for the walk-up. I'm trying to think of a fun song that'll kind of, if not get the crowd behind me, at least distract them that they don't distract them from disliking me and being vocal about it. I'll send you a couple of ideas after this <laughs> podcast. I got some fun things in my mind, but we'll save them too. But Roxy, it's been a few months for you uh, in the retired life. Can we call it retired life too? Because you're uh, still coaching. Job transition. Job transition. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How's life? Uh, it's very interesting. Not exactly what I had anticipated. Um, I was hoping to like jump right into a full-time job, you know, but that hasn't happened yet. But um, I'm enjoying life very much. I'm enjoying not having the pressure of going into the gym and getting hit in the head every day. I get to go in and do jujitsu almost every day. And I love that. It's my favorite thing. 
I can teach kids again. I've been hired by Tribe Fitness and Martial Arts, Casey Milliken, my former, former jiu-jitsu coach. So I've been teaching adults and kids there. I've been training at Jiu-Jitsu Methods with Renee Lopez. Such a good spider guard. Oh, I love spider guard. So I've been working on my spider guard. And uh, I've been writing a lot, my own book, and then just MMA articles. If you follow me on social media, you'll see like I've been putting stuff out on the All-Star and Bloody Elbow. Also, I'm trying to finish that book. I kind of been going in spurts. I'm waiting for another chapter or two to be edited by some friends, and then I think I'll be ready. That's huge. And preparing for your wedding. And preparing for my it's wedding. It's in October. Yes, I'm marrying Chris Roman, and I'm, I love him, and I'm so happy living with him. It's wonderful. I'm kind of, you know how I, I, like, I train really hard. I kind of, as almost a joke, but not really. I'm training to be the best wifey. I want to be the champion wifey of all wifeys. So I've been making hilarious videos on my Instagram about all the things I'm doing to prepare for that. I might be trying too hard, but that's okay. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I'm also looking forward to having my name be easily spelled and pronounced. Roman. So easy. Montefiore <laughs> is not that difficult. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Nobody says it right. You said what? it right. Thank you. How do they say it? Like Moda Ferrari, <laughs> Moda f- f- Modafferi. I used to say Modafferi. Like, oh, you used to say Modafferi. I'm, I'm getting Yuri Prohaska's name butchered all the time. Wow. I'm saying Projaka constantly on during interviews with him. So I'm feeling bad as the schmo. But <laughs> Modafferi is a lot easier for me to say than Prohaska. Not even the I hyphen? Said it right. You don't want to be Modafferi Roman? I think for oh, for yeah, fights for fights I'll be Roxanne Modafferi because I think it's better for the brand to keep it. Yes. But then for non-fight things I'll be Roxanne Roman, and nice. and Chris, my fiance, says it's a superhero name, and I'm like, what do you mean superhero name? And he said, come on, like double, you know, the alliteration, like R R, like Peter Parker, um, you know, that it's always like that. So I can be a superhero. That's awesome. Finally. Some more jiu-jitsu matches, too. I, we were talking about rematching Danielle Kelly potentially before. Shh. I have to improve my secret techniques first. Okay. But, yes, uh, I have. I just finished a jiu-jitsu match on the UFC Fight Pass Invitational. That was awesome. I feel much improved from my previous matches. I'd like more opportunities, hopefully sooner rather than later, because we're thinking about having a little one. Oh, nice. So after we get married. So I'm going to try to get as much as I can in before that happens. I'm so happy for you. Maybe. We'll see. Our kids could play. <laughs> yeah. How old's your baby? Almost a year and a half. Oh, wow. Or hopefully after I win this fight and after I get the new contract and after, 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 hopefully we can start having some more. That'd be nice. But one two-bedroom condo, two dogs, <laughs> one baby, wife, oh. me. Yeah, we're, I'm going to get some more space, some more square footage. <laughs> Yeah, awesome kids can play together. Be parent friends. Yeah, be parent friends. Heck a little yeah. play dates. <laughs> awesome. And most importantly, after this fight, you need a car with AC. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, That's I, important here. I feel all embarrassed. Like, my car breaks down two days in a row, and then, like, first day, battery's dead. So then, like, the next day, I replaced the battery. Everything's running smoothly. But then I had to, like, kind of crank it, and then the starter breaks. But luckily, I'm at Sam's Club. So then I asked for the tow truck, and they said they'll be there in an hour. Five and a half hours later, I'm still oh, there, and I'm, like, dying. No. 
So luckily, it's Sam's Club is the best place to be stranded ever. I ate an entire bag of nectarines, almost ate an entire bag of pears. So like six pounds of fruit. All the it wasn't dehydrated, wasn't starving, just sweating like bullet, you know, bullets, you know. But yeah, luckily, you know, I almost bought it, and I was at Sam's Club and. You know, I'm all tired, like working out hard all day, and I'm like, I saw some bikes. I almost bought like a $600 electric bike. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just try to get that, and I'll ride home and come back before the car gets towed. And my mom heard me. She's like on the phone to me. She's like, it's like, okay, use your grandpa's car. So that's why I'm driving the good old, like old reliable without the AC. <laughs> and yeah, well, hope. how many miles? Well, it's like 190. Oh. My grandpa actually didn't drive too much. Yeah, he took that's very good care of it. Not many miles for 89. Yeah. Her that's parents good. had a 2004 Lexus with way over 300,000 miles on <gasps> yeah, it. Yeah, wow. they celebrated hitting 300,000. It's still in one piece that's, for now. That's impressive. <laughs> that's impressive. Uh, did you say, like, this is the last fight on your contract? Oh, no. I just, after I win this fight in exciting fashion, I'm going to get a new contract. Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm manifesting that, but it makes sense. I've won my first fight on the new contract, and... After I beat Patty Pimlet, I think I'll have some more negotiating power, hopefully. So, And for this camp, though, have you so been running barefoot? Like, even though it's so hot out? Oh, no. No? <laughs> no. Um, it's too hot. This time of year, I don't run barefoot. I'm still running. I'm still running, you know. Um, it's nice to go out and get a nice jog in. But, yeah, I, well, maybe if I move to somewhere a little bit cooler, I can run barefoot year-round. But... Yeah, I may have a mile and a half in me in July before I'm butchered, so. But why do you prefer that, the barefoot? So I think it's mostly just I have more experience with it. So my senior year of high school, I was wrestling, and I was talking to one of my friend's parents, and he runs, like, marathons and ultra marathons and stuff. And he's like, have you ever ran a marathon? I'm like, I'm not much of a runner. I'm, I ran three years ago for track, and he's like, well, on my training schedule, if you run 11 miles tomorrow, you could be on pace to run the Las Vegas Marathon. So I was like, okay, I'm running 11 miles. I never ran more than like two miles ever. So like I was running like six miles in, I'm like completely trashed. I take off my shoes, I'm giving up. And I'm like, okay, I'll run the last little bit barefoot. And so then I finished my 11 mile like jog barefoot and I was like, cool, and it's cheaper and you can't run stupid barefoot. Like you're not gonna go faster than you can handle when you're barefoot and mechanically it makes you land on the forefoot and not the heel of your foot. So. Yeah, I'm just minimalist shoes or barefoot now, forever, hopefully. Yeah, I heard that it makes your feet stronger and, like, it's better for you to run barefoot. My trainer, Lorenzo, said that. I don't do it, but that's what he said, so I understand. Yeah. Only downside is, like, there, there's weird bugs and, and like, cockroaches are not cool to, like, step on at night. You hear, you know, the, <laughs> that's disgusting. You'll, I'll never get used to that. Um, grass, a lot of grass, lots of bugs, lots of bugs, lots of glass. Yeah, don't you, like, get stuff stuck in your feet, like, pinchy or so glass? So surprisingly, so if you run and there's, like, a bunch of glass pieces, like, in one area, it won't, like, puncture your foot because, like, it's, like, surface area is spread out. But if there's, like, one little piece of glass, it ruins your entire run. So never, I actually never had a glass issue except for, like, little slight, like, little cuts. Huh. Just losing toenails. Like... There's like a slight like crack in the road. Yeah, shoes. Knock off your toenail. So yeah, shoes. there's a reason humans are civilized and they wear shoes. <laughs> you know, I'm very privileged for choosing to run in a minimalist way. <laughs> David's a runner. Yeah, but when I would do the barefoot running, it'd only be on like sand in a beachy area. But uh, yeah, because I was just always worried about glass 
on the pavement in random places. Yeah, life's meant to be lived dangerously, David. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted to ask you uh, just your thoughts about everything going on and I guess your your former Division 125, Jessica I just retired, Tyla Santos pretty much gave Valentina Shevchenko, I think, probably the best fight she's had as a as a champion, arguably won that fight in a lot of people's scorecards. Like, what do you make of the new wave of talent coming in to the UFC and kind of a changing of the guard from the older class to the newer class? Mm-hmm. I do think that the people within, like, three years of me of my debut which is 2003 they're starting to retire because you know we're getting older and etc etc um yeah i thought i think that nowadays not just in my division but everywhere people are more like athletes you know they aren't just martial artists or someone off the street who want to fight you know people are starting young you know they're i teach kids you know i actually it's funny slightly off topic but not really I rolled with Rihanna. She's a blue belt. She's 16. I taught her when she was when she was five. Wow. So now she's she's probably gonna get her purple belt soon. Like she's been training for like 10 years or something, you know. So, but she started so young. So now we're seeing those people who have started super young, and then they get this, you know, almost professional athletic training to reach there. Like Macy Barber, you know, she's super young. So yeah, indeed. Now we're seeing younger people with all the wealth of the proper training coming up and doing really well so i think that's the new way of his like athletic and oh and there's money now when i started fighting there wasn't any money really so now there's you know a new crew of athletes who are very well rounded in all areas you don't have just a striker or just a wrestler um you know i think everyone should have their little strength amongst their skill but um yeah i think it's exciting to see like i think we're gonna start seeing like crazy super athletes now you know, people who like like him, he can do crazy grappling and, you know, someone who can just do shoot takedown after takedown and not get tired or, I don't know, things like that. And I, I thought Tyler won. You thought she won? Mm-hmm. I thought she won in real time as well. Um, interesting how that was, but it kind of reminded me of the Dominic Reyes-John Jones fight, UFC 247, when John Jones ended up winning that fight in the championship rounds because they're scoring the takedowns. And I feel like that's it was kind of similar with Valentina in the championship rounds. But I thought Tyla at least won three of those five rounds, and it was interesting to see. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I've been examining the unified rules more, and I've actually, like, interviewed one of the judges, one, a, a judge, and um, he had really good insight. And it, it, I almost – I'm starting to think that the unified rules are kind of pro-striker – because it says that takedowns aren't really counted unless there's damage or an attack, well, an attack and damage mounted off of it. So like how people sometimes do the ten se- last 10 second takedown, that really doesn't count for anything according to unified rules unless you like start hitting them a few times after you take them down. So like I was all happy because I took Casey down in the last 10 seconds, but that wouldn't have counted in the unified rules because I didn't hit her afterwards. And I'm thinking like, it's hard to take somebody down against their will. You know, like, that should be counted for something or, like, ground control. You know, I do understand that the fans don't want to see just someone laying and praying, but I feel like there hasn't really been laying and praying for years. Like, I haven't even heard that term lately, you know. Um, So I feel like like the unified rules are, like, pro-striker. You know, fights start on the feet. 
if you wrestle somebody to the ground using a big effort, that's not even counted unless you hit them, you know. But on the other hand, I know that in a in a street fight, you know, the person who gets bonked the most will probably lose. So it's kind of hard, but I would like to see a little bit tweak a little bit of tweaking done to the unified rules where a little more um, credit is given to the grapplers. Well, I just find it. Uh difficult because I feel like it varies state by state, athletic commission, athletic commission. There are some judges I feel like that value control time, some value damage more, like significant strikes. Like, like I just feel like if I'm a fighter and I'm not accustomed to what judging typically is in that region or that country, like that, that would affect my strategy. I think you're right. I think control is damage. So, like, if I'm landing little flicky jabs that do no damage and don't at all rock you, that, they count that as damage because it's kind of going towards the direction of finishing the fight. But if I hold someone in side control, which is a dangerous position, that's damage. That's nearing a conclusion to the fight. That's nearing a finishing sequence. And I feel like a lot of the times, since it's, like, more easy to, like, watch strikes, oh, like, yeah, he didn't really do damage, but he landed 40 jabs. It's like, then they weren't, it wasn't damaging. It doesn't affect the course of the fight at all, except it's, it's just frustrating for me because, like, people who grapple understand, like, oh, no, that's, that's a dominant position. But then, like, a judge will be like, oh, I didn't see any damage done. But I bet you the person on bottom felt scared in that position. I felt there was, like, some emotion, there was some emotional damage, some, like, mental pressure being put on them. And I feel like that's not accounted for because, like, oh, damage equals strikes. But right, you could be squishing them, and that's damage, but that's not yeah. counted by the judges, right? I've made plenty of people cry during sparring sessions, and they're never could I knock them out. It's because they're getting whooped and they're getting controlled, and that's the most exhausting part of this sport getting pushed against the cage. The cage hurts, you're exhausted, they're breathing in your ear, the sweat squishing. It's, it's all it's, it's a lot of stuff happening. And a lot of fighters understand how hard that part of the game is, but then judges kind of try to discredit it. Yeah, I feel like just from the scoring system, 10-9 can mean so many different things. It can look so many different ways, and it can vary on so many people's scorecards for who that 10-9 is for. But then you go to like a 10-8 or even something extreme like a 10-7, you know what that looks like. You know that's like a domination, a very one-sided affair. I just think how the rules play out right now with 10-9 and that type of scoring system we've adopted from boxing, as the sport continues to evolve, you're going to get into more and more sticky situations with scoring overall because we're not using a point system that that covers all the skill sets on display. Yeah, And also the 10-9 system, like for such a small amount of rounds, is really stupid. So like I went around but then I accidentally hit them in the groin, I get a point taken away. I now am basically fighting for a draw unless I win every round. So that's kind of like one way like in which the 10 plus scoring system doesn't really make a lot of sense. And also like there is no grappling 10-8 rounds. Damian Maya is on your back the entire fight. That's almost finishing the fight for four plus minutes. It's the same way as we're getting knocked down several times in the fight. Like you're getting close to finishing the fight and there's no 10-8 grappling rounds. And I feel like that needs to happen. There's been so many fights like Khabib, I think almost all the rounds he won should have been 10-8 rounds, you know. The fight's very near being concluded. 
Did they score one of the Aljamain Sterling Peter Jan fights in that second fight that, that the one they just had? Were one of those rounds, like the second or third round, a 10 8 round where he had his back most of the time? Did, they, did any of the judges score one, that 10 8? Yeah, one judge gave it a 10 8. But it's also because Aljo was throwing some nice elbows. But he shouldn't have had to throw like those elbows. Like Peter Jan was almost finished several times. So that's by the criteria. The fight's almost concluded. That should have been a 10 8. But are you guys fans of open scoring? Yeah. Heck yeah. 100%. But then people are worrying about stalling in that type of situation. I don't think so. I don't, plus, you know, people already, the fighters already have their idea of who's winning, right? This is just confirming it, but they're still going to fight hard. Like, I don't know. That's what I think. Yeah. This isn't the era of lay and pray where you could lay on someone and exert no pressure. And they're just going to say they're like, you can't stall at someone who's trying to kill you. And if, you, if, you're, st- if you're stopping them from killing you, you're not stalling by definition. If someone's swinging big bombs at me and I'm like evading them like you can't you can't stall MMA anymore not really so that's a good point by the very definition if someone think, knows they're losing they're gonna friggin come out hard and then they can't stall like unless they run away and then they're gonna penalize yeah like Peter Yon the last round of the Aljo fight if Peter knew like, hey I'm behind on the cards he may have gone out trying to kill Aljo as opposed to being like, well, statistically speaking, I think I have a 50% chance of being ahead right now, so I just got to win this round. And I feel like it makes fights a lot more exciting when you know the fifth round this person's going to come try to kill you. I like the idea of open scoring for championship fights, for five-round fights, because if somebody's dominating or up on the scorecards for the first three rounds, it's go time if you're the challenger. Like, it's 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 literally you know you have to finish or you're losing the fight, and the stakes are so high anyways. You're a main event or a co-main event. You're fighting for five rounds. Like, you've worked really hard to get to that point. I think it should, in that environment, be open for everyone. That's where I'd make the argument for open scoring. Start it with five-round fights and see where you go from there. If you're not going to experiment with it in Dana White's Contender Series or the Ultimate Fighter, which I thought would be great environments to experiment with rules. But... Um, I think five round fights where where the stakes are the highest and you have five rounds to look at, not three. That would be a cool place. Well, they're doing it in Invicta, and nobody's stalling in Invicta, right? right? Like, are they doing it anywhere else, or I think it's just Invicta. No, Invicta. They're they're in they're in Missouri, right? That's uh, or yes. Kansas. I, I always get th- those states Kansas are City, next to yeah. Kansas City, Missouri, <laughs> and that's where I know open scoring is is allowed uh, by their sanction. I don't think even here in Nevada, oh. like the athletic commission has open scoring approved might be a Mark Ratner question, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I don't, I just think like they have it there because I know it's a state that's, a, that's approved it. What'd you make of this past weekend, Volkanovski's performance? I think he, he put a complete close to the book on the trilogy, and now he's thinking about going up to 155, which obviously puts an interesting monkey wrench in the situation. Monkey King, monkey wrench. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, because Charles Oliveira, uh, Benil Dariush, Islam. Islam. Um. I mean, th- this past weekend the fight was amazing. It was like probably the most competitive shutout you've ever seen because it wasn't like Max was getting whooped any round. It's just he was getting edged out every single round consistently. Yeah, it was an amazing performance. But it's just I have a hard time, but, and I believe Folk is pound for pound number one. But even at his weight class for his frame. He's very short, so even if he has like a reach advantage, when you're five five and you're punching up, you don't have a reach advantage anymore. And I feel like he's never really faced any strong grapplers except for Mendez, and Mendez got him down and held him held his back for a majority of a round. 
And I feel like, I guess, Mahachev and Oliveira, even Darius, I think he might just get like blanketed. But then also, Volk has fought at 170, and he's he's a very and I've trained with him, amazing athlete. If anyone could do it, I think it could be him. Like all these other champions who kind of flirt with the idea of being double champ. I don't think it's realistic for anybody but for Volk. So you trained with him at Syndicate. Yeah, he visited. Yeah, he visited once. I think either for his debut or the fight after his debut. And I remember because I heard his accent. I'm like, this guy can't wrestle. He's not gonna be able to wrestle or grapple with me. And I was wrong. I was very wrong. He wrestled <laughs> the crap out of me. I was young, so I'm gonna use that as my excuse. I was pretty young, but yeah, he he's an amazing athlete, amazing fighter. You have him as your number one pound for pound over Usman and most Israel definitely. and yeah, most definitely. I feel like if I was like to curve the grading, you know, 55, 35, 45, get the highest amount of points just right off the bat. And the farther you get away from that, the less credit you get from me at least, you know? And I feel like Kamaru, he's fought almost all like small 55ers who came up to 170 for his his like title fights. And I love Jorge Masvidal, but he literally got a title shot of two really big wins and he gets his entire career up to that point was kind of middling in terms of like win-loss ratio. So he beat Jorge twice, which is still good, but that's not, that wasn't the best person in the division. No one ever argued that Jorge was the number two person at that time. He beat Covington, who was a legitimate win, but also, you know, a small guy. He fought Gilbert Burns, small guy. So I feel like Kamaru hasn't really fought anyone his size, not in the tail end of his career while in like in his title, in like during his title reign. And I feel like Volk has literally killed everyone that Max hasn't already killed yet, you know? So, like, Volk also has the advantage of Max being able to play, like, goalie for him. Like, you have to make it past Max. I've already lost to Max to get the title shot for Volk. So, yeah, I think Volk's pound for pound number one. Who's your pound for pound number one? Gosh. <laughs> it's always interesting to me to hear the announcer say, oh, they're the hottest, or pound for pound. And I'm like, all right, well, you're forgetting about all these people in the past, I feel like all champions have like a really good run and then they kind of fall off. Like Anderson Silva, he he defended his belt forever. Ronda Rousey, like Joanna Jandrzejczyk, you know. Right now, I think Volkanovski is probably the current era pound for pound maybe. But, you know, the people I just mentioned, I also have a very high opinion of. For sure. It's always changing too. Because mm-hmm. Fedor? Like, yeah. Fyodor? And Demetrius Johnson? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you're a top three, like you're talking about GOAT status. Oh, his favorite question, the uh, MMA Mount Rushmore. Mount, yeah. Well, this question was just about current yeah, n- the number current. one pound yeah. for oh, pound. Okay, okay. But current. we could transition to that if you want to. <laughs> okay, well, current, that's cool. Then I would say, yeah, probably. Vol- Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky, too. Right, yeah. And it, it's a good point because Max really is a measuring stick for everybody at that 145 uh, weight division, even the performance that he just had against uh, the guy who's fighting Brian Ortega the week Yair before your card, Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez, killer, killer. And then yeah. they both faced Aldo and beat him twice, right? Uh, both Max and Volkanovski. Yeah, Volk only beat him the one time. Oh, the one yeah. time. Yeah. Okay, it was Max twice, but uh, even just the Brian Ortegas that we just mentioned too. Uh, it just it, and right now at the featherweight division. Who is the clear number one? You can make a case, a number one person for Volk to fight. You can make a case for Josh Emmett, who just came off that five-round victory over Calvin Cater, which was a really razor-thin close fight, if you ask me. 
Um, and then at the fight that we're going to see over in New York, we're going to see the winner of Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. If Brian Ortega wins, are people going to be rushing to the door to see Brian Ortega rematch Volkanovski right away? But then Yair Rodriguez wins. Well, he his he's coming off one win because his last fight he lost to Max Holloway. You don't have a real big case at 145 for a clear title contender. Well, I think the era of immediate rematches has really ruined the sport from a matchmaking perspective. Like, I understand, like, oh, it's exciting and it's good business-wise in the short term, but it really ruins a long-term, like, layout of, like, the ranking system. Like, for, at 125, yeah, two back-to-back rematches, and now it's kind of like a no-man zone, and perhaps the champion's thinking about moving up. So now, like, it feels like the, the storyline's not been concluded, and I feel like immediate rematches, they kind of rush things too bad, too much, and it causes a lot of other fighters to really have to defend their spot. But then if you're, like, the number one contender, you can fight once every 18 months and you're still the number one contender. You know, I feel like at 145, Max is still the clear number one contender, but they're not going to do a rematch. It makes no business sense. And it's confusing, but I think immediate rematches have really ruined a lot of the divisions. Yeah, and I think a lot of the immediate rematches are pressured by the rankings, and the rankings can be pretty inconsistent too because there could be guys that are ranked in divisions that haven't been active for years. You know, Conor McGregor comes to mind too. I think he still got the number 12 next to his name, and when was the last time he won it a 155-pound weight division fight? Was it Eddie Alvarez in 2017? Like, that was the last time he won at 155. Um, So it's just – and then there's just people that haven't been active. Like, I love Chris Weidman, but we are not going to see him for a long time, and he still has a number next to his name in the middleweight division. That prevents people, the younger guys, getting booked to fight people because people don't want to lose their position in line. And I just think it's been a detriment um, to kind of moving things along in specific weight divisions in the sport, especially as of late. Can we go back to the important question, your favorite one? Which one? The Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah, Mount Rushmore. And, and yeah. because you just asked Joanna, too, the other it's day. It's so funny. It. I started asking that question just randomly. I think it was a, to John Jones. It was like I wanted to ask something different that I hadn't heard before, and this was a few years ago, 2018 yeah, or 19. And I was just like, okay, this is the appropriate person to ask. Who's your Mount Rushmore of, of MMA fighters? You can include yourself. So there's four of total. And – he included himself and, and named three others, and I thought that was appropriate. And then as time has progressed, I feel like I've asked that question to fighters of significance, like someone like a Demetrius Johnson, a Joanna Young Jacek, like what their Mount Rushmore would be. So she's bringing that up. We're asking you guys, what, what's your Mount Rushmore of MMA? Current, past, whatever. And, and that can mean anything. Most impactful, mix it with the best. Who's your Mount Rushmore? Fedor. Joanna, uh, Anderson Silva. Oh man, I guess Ronda Rousey. There's no wrong answers because they're yeah. all great. They're all pioneers. I'm sure there's more that I, was, I can think of. Let but... me tell you why you're wrong. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of impact, like I think that's a great round. That's great. Much more, like yeah. in terms of impact, like. I'm not going to do mine in terms of impact because I'm going to overthink it too much. Because, like, what about – there's always some guy in the comment session, what about Hoist Gracie? Exactly. Like, oh, oh, snap. I mean, the UFC first tournament were kind of rigged for him to win, but whatever. Like, we can include him. Or Kazusa Sakuraba. There's so many people that have been so influential. Sakuraba. Yeah. And, like, changing the game. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, influencing the meta of the sport yeah. immensely. 
So impact super hard for me because I think I overthink it. But in terms of like resume status, yeah, um, I think in no particular order: GSP, Demetrius Johnson, Anderson, and then John Jones plays base. I'm also willing to trade in Anderson for Fedor. Interesting. You you included two fem two females. He included none. No, I'm just, I'm just no <laughs> there was one actually. I would switch out one of my females for, but I forgot. What did you just say? Fedor, John Jones, Demetrius Johnson, GSP, GSP, GSP. Yeah. Well, for the women's MMA Mount Rushmore, because you did that on I did the a triple separate, C. And yeah, I did like a separate one for female. I just thought. Yeah. It had it had <laughs> some some backlash to it, and it's hard to contextualize it. But before I put were uh, Amanda Nunes, Valentina, Ronda Rousey, and Joanna. Mm-hmm. Mm. I agree. Those are your four? People, people gave me a Jordan's lot Jordan's giving you a People look. gave me backlash because I didn't have... Uh, Chris Cyborg. Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm, and then the other Gina one was Crono. Gina Carano. It's really too hard to make only four. Like. <laughs> Jordan's face. I know. It's, it's hard. And then Rose, too. I mean, those are yeah. just the people I would include if it was more than four, yeah. but there was only four. Megumi Fuji. Yeah. I have to include her. I used to watch her when I was younger. Had like a more than a decade long winning streak with Megumi Fujii. Um, yeah. I almost said Honda Housey. I hang out with some Brazilian <laughs> people. Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, and then jo- Joanna. Jo- I'm going butcher her name. Joanna. Um, Joanna. I just feel like Rose's, in particular, Rose's legacy gets really affected by the Carla Esparza losses. Yeah. And I feel like Carla Esparza's losses are only Carla Esparza's only discredited because she lost to Joanna so convincingly. But yeah, me, Megumi, Rhonda, and then another people I said. How'd you leave Amanda Nunes off? The greatest female fighter of all time? I would put Holly Holm above Amanda Nunes in terms of like impact on the sport. Mm. But I'm a Holly Holm fanboy, <laughs> and it took a lot of energy from out to, for me not to gotcha. put her on MMA Mount Rushmore because she's been number one and then solid number two for a decade. Yeah, like Holly Holm's only lost to champions, and she's only lost to you know she's lost under pretty you know sketch circumstances like Duran Duran. I mean, like yeah. Rob versus that one. Holly Holm would be the first. You know, double champ in women's MMA history, and then I think Amanda lost to Valentina for the one of them. I think Valentina lost to the second one. So for me, it's yeah, that's my four. That's controversial, but I'm, that's my four. I'm sticking to it. No, it's it's a good list. How do you feel about his list, Roxy? I'm gonna take the fifth on the okay. <laughs> Mount Rushmore questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I love both of your shirts: the Happy Warrior and Stephen King rules. <laughs> That's you can awesome. tell he hates books. I, I, yeah, you were talking to us about a lot of books the yeah. other day. Yeah. I'm reading a lot this year. The goal is to get to 100. I'm at 43. I'm about to finish 44 oh, nice. today, hopefully. I'm going to finish a book today, too, but it's a much smaller book. It was just given to me this week by Mark Ratner, his his book, Ringside. Nice. A little memoir of all of his stories and stuff. I can't wait to get to the part where he talks about when Mike Tyson bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. Because he was oh, there he for was all there? of that. Yeah. Wow. He was headbutting him. He deserved <laughs> I feel for him. Tell us how you really feel, Jordan. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say, if someone headbutt me... I might have bit him once. The second bite was completely unwarranted, but the first little nibble, <laughs> I could overlook that. 
That's why I was really excited to see those two potentially fight again. And then I think he was it was during the time when um, Mike Tyson was matched up against Roy Jones Jr. They were talking with Evander Holyfield, and then Evander Holyfield ended up stepping in the ring, which he should never have done with Vitor Belfort, and that was ugly. But, uh, yeah, we almost could have seen a second match between Evander and uh, Mike Tyson a couple of years ago. I'm glad it didn't happen. I think you should let the, the old dogs right off into the sunset, you know, especially Evander. Like, he's shown a lot of, like, signs of CTE and brain damage, and he did not have, like, a health-friendly style, so I, I hated to see him out there. Mike Tyson, you know, took relatively little damage throughout his career, so it's a little different. He still moves well. And I feel like a lot of fighters, they sh- you know, they shouldn't be able to fight in their advanced 40s and in their 50s. I think it's dangerous, and I think it's just a money grab. And I don't think it's in the best interests of competitors. Well, it's up to the athletic commissions to not sanction those fights. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we really appreciate you coming on the Schmo Zone. What kind of final message would you like to leave for everybody? Roxy? Gosh. I'm not sure what to say. Thanks for having me. And be unique always. Yeah. I'm just happy to be on a podcast with Roxy. That's kind of cool. It's super, like, cathartic. And it's, um, yeah. I'm surprised. I didn't think this would ever happen. You know, um, I see a lot of podcasts where you see like two people who have like a history together, and I'm like, that's really cool. I'm, but I'm not sure there's really anybody in my fight career that kind of like fits that position for me. Yeah, I think Roxy fits that position for me. She's been there since the beginning of my career, and I watched her beforehand, and I'm a fan of her during her fight career. I'm a fan of her in her post-fight career, and I think it's pity. I don't know. I'm happy about this. Then on that note. Do you have a favorite or most memorable story with Roxy? Oh, gosh. Favorite or most memorable? There's a lot of um, funny Roxyisms that's happened at the gym. Um, there's always the Cindy story. I like that story a lot. <sighs> that's a fun story um, about the... The sex toy in the background of one of her interviews, that's a fun story. Wait, what? <laughs> Remember the Cindedick? Yeah, I remember that, but not with me. Well, it was you. Was it? Maybe she wasn't aware of that video. Never mind. Breaking news. I don't know. I think Roxy's career has been super epic. Like, for me, my favorite Roxy story is when I was like at, a, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings and she was fighting Macy Barber. And... And it also happened in the same place where, about, where uh, you fought Shevchenko. Shevchenko. Uh, Shevchenko. <laughs> and I was watching. Oh, she's a big underdog. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, I bet you Roxy wins this. It's in Russia. I don't, I don't care if it's in Russia. She's still going to win this. Or like when she fought Macy Barber, I, I knew 100%, no doubt in my mind. I'm like, no, there's no way she loses that fight. And I was like just... I was like thinking about it like in a super like almost like a spiritual sense. I'm like, no, that's not the way this story's supposed to go. You know? Roxy's supposed to win this fight. And then it did happen. I don't know. There's like she's the easiest fighter to root for, yeah. at least for me, because like how can you root against her? She's being herself for her entire career. Doesn't sell out when a lot of these other fighters sell out. Doesn't miss weight. Doesn't cheat. No scandals. It's like I don't I can't pick a story. Her entire like career in her life has been a consistent story, consistent theme, and like it's hard to kind of pick it apart. 
Thanks, Jordan. It's a great note to end on. Yeah. Well, we appreciate having you guys on. And episode 106 of the Schmozone podcast, we are out. Hang on a second. Do I, can I say something else? Of course. Um, I just wanted to add that it's so cool for me to see you in the UFC now. You know, because I watched you in Tough Enough, the amateur show. And now, like, I'm like, man, that, that guy's going to for sure be in the UFC someday. And I love seeing you improve. And, like, your striking is so amazing now. Like, good work. I can tell you've been working on it. And just your crazy skills and your talent. Like, it's so cool. I knew you'd be in the UFC. And I'm really happy and thrilled that to see you now. And I can't wait to continue following your career. Thanks, Moxie. <laughs> Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.